Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I know you are here wanting to change and rewrite your story. You are desiring to step into the impact that you know you were here to create. I am here to guide you with the proven tools and strategies used by myself and our speakers to support you in taking radical responsibility in your life and learning how to own your choices to change your story. My name is Marsha Van Weinsberg. I am a storytelling business coach, master NLP trainer, speaker, podcaster, and seven times published author. My clients have found freedom and purpose from overcoming their shame stories and learning how to share them with the world. I am so grateful you are here. Let's get started. Welcome back to the show. Today, we are speaking with Scott Holman. Scott is a director, producer, filmmaker, podcaster, writer, and cinematographer. His story is unbelievable. His music community created Oh the Cribs records in a house in the forest as teenagers, where they recorded two albums while being influenced by a cult. He ran camera and sound for a local news station and then went on to university for photography and digital media. Today, he runs Banana Island Films, which was born in his time in Vietnam while he spent five years there. Today, his project called Witness Underground, it's his sophomore film and a much bigger project, which includes the Witness Underground podcast, a series XJW coming out and an artist grant. His present projects all focus on artists escaping cults, especially musicians. The proceeds from watching Witness Underground on Patreon go towards fostering new healing art through an ex-cult member artist grant program. I have had over 600 episodes on this show, and I have probably interviewed probably close to 400 people. And I'm so honored to be able to share Scott's story because this is a first time I've been able to interview somebody with Scott's background and his expertise and experience as he shares what life was like as a child growing up in a cult and how there is life and hope afterwards. This is a really powerful episode. He shares his new career, how he moved to the other side of the planet in Vietnam, rebuilt his sense of self and gained the skills to tell a cult exit story in a very unique way that they are all so proud of. I think that's one of the things I connected with most was that Scott really wanted to share life afterwards. There's hope afterwards. We all have stories and it's very easy to get stuck and trapped in those stories but we want to know that there's life afterwards. We want to know that there's hope and possibility afterwards. And it's not without its challenges, but there's definitely hope and life afterwards. Scott shares what happens when people leave a cult and how they now share their creative expression through art and music, which was not allowed while they were in this cult. He openly shares the journey of creating community and humanizing the experience of life after a cult without the feelings of being re-traumatized. This is a phenomenal episode, and I'm so grateful that you get to be a part of it. Welcome to the show today, Scott. I am thrilled to have this connection and conversation with you. Thank you, Marsha. I'm really happy to be here. 
So let's just get started on something that you just said that hit me. And it was this piece on, you know, being stuck in an old story or writing a new story. Tell me what that phrase means to you. I don't want to, I want to write a new story was what I said. I don't mm-hmm. want to be stuck in the old story. It's something I've actually heard from another person. So I don't want to take full credit for this, yeah. but I, I like the idea of we can, we can talk about our past until our last breath, but we could be um, rewriting our future or writing our present, I think. And I try to imagine the future or the life that I want and then go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like mo- the longer time duration between the traumatic stuff I went through and the present, the less of an issue the past stuff is because I'm like forging this new thing. Mm-hmm. Because you're creating moving forward. Yeah. And I and I absolutely love that. Um, was there a period of time that you were stuck in past? Yeah, I had this, I call it the Dagobah period, like Yoda in Star Wars. It's mm-hmm. like we find him in the first few movies, like on a swamp planet, like in an unknown star system, <laughs> living by himself. And I did that. I like left this high control group. And well, first I went to college and like had a whole little hurrah, like, yeah, I'm out. I'm doing my own thing now. Mm-hmm. And then at some point I was like, I kind of want to be away from everything that's related to my past and be in a fresh new environment. So I went to Vietnam and I was there for five years and made a whole life there and like had a little career and developed filmmaking skills there that I was wanting to do for a long time. Yeah, no, you definitely, we're going to talk about your filmmaking skills, what you're doing, what you're creating. When we talk a little bit about your past story, can you share with us what you experienced and what that time was like for you so that we can understand what drove you to move forward? Like what drove you to separate and create space from that past? So I like to frame it as I successfully navigated a manipulative cult. And that's a little bit of a positive spin on it because most people think, oh, you were in a cult. That must be crazy. Like you're something else. You're separate. You're not one of us. You're a different kind of human. And let's talk about the dark side and like what crazy stuff happens in the cult. And then you'll always be this weirdo who you were a weirdo who was in a cult. And now you're this weirdo who used to be in a cult. So like you'll never be part of the real society. And I don't really like the otherizing that happens in that. Mm-hmm. But like it's it's a it's actually like 65% of people get out of this one. Um, so it isn't like I'm some rare species of human who is raised around a cult. Um, it's actually really comfortable to get out. And, but most people, a lot of people get stuck um, in the churn, like the past, worrying about it, thinking about it, thinking about the losses and the trauma from the experiences in it, the experience leaving. And as we are talking about like moving on and having this forward view is important. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, my parents, just to give a brief background, my parents in their early thirties with three kids, you know, they had kids at, as in their late teens and um, they, they joined this thing. So I thought it'd be a safe place to raise their kids. Like on, if I give them like the best benefit of the doubt, nobody joins a cult on purpose. Right. You join a group that you think has value and will bring you something better. Like they're looking forward to their future and looking out for their kids to give them, you know, put them in the best I think it's called steel man argument. Like I think that they were making a choice for all of us, but then they don't, they didn't grow up in it growing up. And it's very different than joining it as an adult and having other 30 somethings with kids to hang out with. 
as a kid, you're like, well, who do I believe here? Because my parents are saying one thing, the people in the church are saying a different thing. And the people that are like, what's written in their literature is also like a little bit more strict than all of it. Like, who do I really follow here? Plus I had like a unique situation that all my mom's side of the family, including my mom never really joined properly. Like the whole side of the family is not at all associated with, they're like just general Christians. Mm-hmm. And they're giving me a completely different story. Plus I had friends, I'm usually not allowed to have friends outside of the religion of this cult, but I did. My mom let me have this kind of more general life, uh, normal friendships. And I had like Pentecostals and atheists and Catholics and Lutherans and Methodists and like all these different, and they're mostly just like uh, Protestant religions in middle America. Um, So they're all similar, but like they're, they're all influencing me in some different way, right? And it's like, well, which one of them is correct? Or who do you look to for answers on difficult questions? And like I had kids in high school asking me about what the Bible says about abortion so they can like make a decision. You know, like I was somehow seen as like an authority figure for them on on this one, you know, in this one bizarre area of morality. And I'm like, well, I, I don't want to help you make a decision, but like this is what it says. And this is what this religion my parents joined says about it. Um, you do you. Like, mm-hmm. love you no matter what. I don't know if I derailed from your actual question there. No, 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 you're good. So yeah. you spent like, so were you, a, were you a kid who, I mean, it's, it's great. You were exposed and had um, other people outside of the cult to be able to, you know, at least see different points of view or be open to different points of view. Were you a kid who always questioned, like maybe you didn't take, you know, because some kids take things at 100% face value. Mom and dad say that that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. And then some of us are not those ones where it's like we question. It's like we're actually questioning a lot of things. Were you a kid who had a lot of questions? Absolutely. And I was punished for that a lot. I read a lot of books because I was stuck in my room a lot for talking mm-hmm. and asking why. What does this mean? <laughs> that doesn't make sense to me. Um, from an early on, early, early age, um, I questioned the religion. And I think it was because my parents joined when we were little, we were still, we were kids, but we were, I was six, I think, seven, six to eight was when my parents were like, my, my dad especially was like taking it more seriously and trying to get us to go. And in that time, my mom's dad died. And like in the Jehovah's Witnesses, that's the cult that we're talking about today. Um, and they are a dangerous cult. Don't think that. They're not. <laughs> um, my mom's dad died, and everyone on that side of the family was saying, "Oh, he's in heaven." But everyone in the Jehovah's Witnesses was saying, "No, like nobody goes to heaven. There's only there's only 144,000 people who go to heaven, and your grandpa was definitely not one of those special people. They're going to be those people are transformed into like a super powerful angel who will rule over the earth, and they will rule eventually. And they have all this like revelation based dogma for what this you know." fantasy spiritual world is like and it's you know loosely based on some scripture or specifically based on some scripture or whatever they have their whole ideology mm-hmm. um, but like that that dissonance for me as a six seven year old was like me basically learning how to pray at that same time and what god was because we never talked about that as a family before and like okay so this guy says grandpa doesn't get to go to the good place but these other people think their god does like whose god is real and like, why isn't he allowed into the supposed heaven that my parents believe in? And like, why don't most, why can't more people go there? Like all these questions were just like instantly there, like at the beginning of my process. So I feel like I was just handed this like gigantic skeptical thing at the beginning mm-hmm. and it stayed with me. Like I didn't trust them. And I was also getting, you know, influence from so many different sources that 
they were just one more. They weren't the only thing where most people, especially the people in my movie, were raised in it. And there wasn't really a questioning moment throughout their youth, maybe until they were teenagers where they started to be exposed to new ideas and the internet emerged and people could do research. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, um, dissonance, distrust from the beginning. And I saw the control systems people were trying to use. And my dad gave me like, as a Jehovah's Witness, gave me the book 1984 by George Orwell. And he's like, this is the most important book. Like this one influenced me the most. And it's like, you know, we're living in that thing, right? <laughs> I was like 16 or 17. He didn't see the IRA. You know, for him, it was like politics, right? Like for him, yeah. it was like the governments of the world. Because that's what it specifically talks about. For me, it was like, yeah, but we live in a dystopia. This spiritual paradise that we're supposedly a part of is filled with darkness and like, people here are not getting healthcare and dying. And over here, people have child sex abuse stuff happening. And like, they're telling me, asking me to confide in about their you know problems with these really, really serious illegal things. And I'm supposed to keep it a secret and like stuff like that was happening, you know, and my parents were somehow oblivious to that. Mm -hmm. And I, know, I, I saw the nuance of applying like 1984, um, Big Brother, everyone's watching like if you see the poster art behind me in the virtual there's like little eyeballs everywhere yeah and that, that was inspired by my first art therapy i drew this picture of myself at a wedding and everyone watched all these eyeballs in the sky floating around watching and i'm not the only one like two other people have now since shown me art that looks like that with eyeballs floating around like, everyone's always watching you specifically including your friends and they will rat you out like in 1984 like you can't trust anybody or even in like um, fascist germany with like your kids would turn their parents in if they were part of the the mm -hmm. union um, for being not truly fascist enough or nationalistic enough. And then they would get punished, you know, and like we were getting punished for having thought crimes. And like that was the specific language in the book. Thought crimes. Or committing thought crimes, having thoughts of your own. <laughs> no, it's I me. Mean, I understand the irony of what you're saying. Like it's really using that book almost as a Bible, but saying, but we're actually living in it right now. Like this is, it's quite an insight for um, someone your age. And I also go back to thinking, maybe it's because you really did have questions from a young age. And, and it's just, you know, you start to take blinders off and be open to asking like, is this the only way it is? And I think that is really powerful. I want to ask because I don't know, and you are the first person that I have interviewed who has come from a cult. How do you know something is a cult? That's a great question. I am not an expert on nope. determining it, but there is a model called the bite model. And Stephen Hassan, who he's, uh, he was in the Moonies. I don't know if you ever heard of that one. Yep. There's another name for it, but that's like the, that's like the kind of colloquial name if you will. Um, and the bite model talks about basically frameworks for cults. So by the term, I, I would love to just look at, maybe we could like have a post thing where we put a little image up or something, but the bite model is one, um, especially ex-Jehovah's Witnesses love to reference that because it's like every single point is hit. You don't need to become considered a cult. You don't have to hit all the points, but Jehovah's Witnesses hit all of them perfectly. Like if you want to learn how to start a cult, like Jehovah's Witnesses have like knocked it out of the park. Um, but then if you watch the Netflix series, there's a great new series that just came out called How to Start a Cult. And it's like a, a guidebook <laughs> and they go through like seven or eight different cults around the world, including Bhagwan, that was a big thing in Oregon in the 1970s, 80s, I think. And then 
there's a guy in Japan who's like blowing up trains with his like, and people are getting murdered. And there's like people being silenced and all kinds of insane stuff happening there. And then of course, Jonestown with um, down, mm-hmm. down in Guyana, where everyone drank the Kool-Aid, where we get that term from. And everyone, you know, most people died from that. Like these, these are like single person leading it. So Jehovah's Witnesses have a twist because there's multiple layers where they used to have a single leader and that person got ousted. There was a big power shakeup, just like in the Mormons when the leader died during the war against mm-hmm. the United States. And then the secondary guy took everyone to Utah and they created their kingdom there, Brigham Young. Um, there was a similar kind of takeover by the second leader of the Jehovah's Witnesses in the 1918. And um, so he had his whole like reign and he completely created what you see today before it was more of like a benign small thing where the guy was just trying to sell books. It was like, it's like his book uh, publishing companies, like followers who read his books and magazines. And then this guy took it over and turned it into this crazy religion, changed the name, changed a lot of the beliefs and, and then created like a weird dictatorship under the guise of theocracy. And then when he left, there's a couple more presidents that were less insane. And then there was like a, then they created like a group of men that now run it and it's a deeply patriarchal and extreme hierarchy in this pyramidal structure where basically you have to be you're trained to be a narcissistic abuser basically to control the people below you to rise up in the ranks and if you do that the more you out people the more you turn people in um, the more you take responsibility and and tow the party line speak the just use their language copy their formula the more you'll rise up to the top and along the way you have to like out people and like control it and like affect people's lives in these ridiculous ways um and so i feel like they're like a, a, a narcissistic abuse factory as well as almost and another weird thing I, i've found myself saying a lot is they also are sort of like an atheism factory because they consider every other religion to have their own separate gods false gods so like they're looking at every religion as like really really critical eye and just denouncing their beliefs um to reinforce their idea of their being the only true path to their God or the only God where all the other gods are false. So that, like, if you finally take that critical eye of that, they teach you, you turn it on your own God or your own idea of what faith or the supernatural is, that it's just one more God to disbelieve in when you've already disbelieved in like hundreds of gods throughout your life. So like both of those things are, you're an abuser and an atheist. <laughs> when you get out and you have to like as soon as you're outside of the control of the dogma and the propaganda that they feed you and like pump into you as, as brainwashing for throughout every single three times a week sessions that they put you through um then you're sort of like as soon as you get rid of that as soon as you stop listening to that and reading that then like that stuff starts to fade away but you're sort of left in a very strange place you're like okay i have no community my family's never going to talk to me again I think God and all their faiths are completely nonsense, including everything I've ever believed. Um, and I've learned how to do some pretty like dark things to people because I had to through coercion. Not that you want, not that people want to do these dark things or manipulative, abusive things, but you kind of have to to survive in that society. It's control, right? Like, so I mean, there's a, there's a control level there that you're doing and saying things to. Um, I don't want to say fit in, but to be part of what your, um, the rules are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because I mean, I've watched a few different documentaries on cults. I do find this stuff fascinating and it's just, it's really in a space that talking about how it's very easy to fe- for people to, um, join, be part of it, to want to be part of it. 
because like the number one human desire is belonging. Like it is like the number one human trait is to want to belong. And so if somebody is speaking language that makes you feel like I belong there and I haven't belonged anywhere else before. And then on top of that, you have a narcissistic leader who is incredibly good at their words, their language and being manipulative. And you can see how it becomes like a very easy thing to fall into. That's all true. (laughs) There's something that I feel most people don't understand. So I've, I've, you know, dug a hole of, or I've created a a framework for like how I see this group, right? Like it's pretty negative. Um, But at the same time, like there's friends and family and like events and important life things that happen and really genuinely good people who all think that they're doing the right thing, right? Like no one's doing this stuff because they, they, they want to do something harmful to society. Like they got exact opposite. I feel like to um, give them the benefit of the doubt, most people are there um, doing what they do because they think it's the right thing. They think that that is the only true way or the best way, or um, they're following the Bible because they're whatever they're doing with the religion teaches them they have to do, but that's God's way. Even if it's difficult, it is the right thing to do according to them. And there's a number of documentaries on this particular religion. And there's a number, like it's, we're in like this amazing period right now where there's like 40 cult documentaries out and there's always more coming. And I'm fascinated by them. Um, Like most people are Uh, maybe extra because it's like, I lived it a little bit or a lot, Um, but most of them don't really humanize the cult experience. And that's something that I was really careful to do because I've, I've watched these documentaries, especially about this particular religion. And it's not something I'm proud of. It's just re-traumatizing. Like, oh, that's just, I really don't want to go there. I really don't want to think about that. It was difficult. I haven't really processed. Damn, like that's not fun to watch. So when I made this, I wanted to like highlight the like the good that was happening in, the, in it. So like the first, we called it like a th- kind of a three-act structure. Is a classic film structure where the first one is about what is it like to live it? And so you get to know the people in it with a little bit of education, like what is it? How does it work? What are the rules? Okay, and then we're back into the story. And you get to see these people and they're, they're playing music and they're doing shows and it's just like this vibrant art thriving community inside of this very bizarre structure. And it's they were just navigating like little by little what they could. And as I like to write in the description of the film, like they're bumping up against the cage bars and different moments. And that's kind of what their diet, their dialogue is about the first chapter and, and how, how that, then we do get through a little bit of education. Like, well, why was that a problem that they did that? And you get a little bit of education about the culture. And then we get back into the music and like the cool thing that they were excited about. And then there's this moment that switches, which we can talk about mine. If you, you mentioned that that was interesting to you. But the sort of like waking up type moment that people have when you realize what you're in or what you're part of. And so a couple of the people in the film, one has a sort of logical awakening and he does this deep dive in research. And the other one sort of has an emotional awakening. And and there's five people interviewed, but two kind of main stories that that all these people knew each other. They're all friends, all making amazing art. And like they're really, really talented people. And regardless of their background and their music they were making was completely secular. Like it was off limits to talk about God in art or faith in art. So like, it's like completely secular, which is also like, it's like atheist, you know, or like non-religious music. I'm sure it was influencing them, but they weren't allowed to talk about it. So their music is like either coded or hidden, or it's just about like relationships and friends and life, like more general stuff. Um, But yeah, it's sort of like, there's like one, like this guy breaks and like dismantles his, the way he sees the world from a logical perspective. And then like rebuild slowly 
um, from like this other logical perspective. Like he gets logical fallacies. He figures it out. He cracks something and he like dives in. The other woman is sort of like having emotional breakdowns and like keep on having this emotional turmoil. And she tries to use the religion's guidance to like figure it out. And the only thing that works is music. And then she has these like epif emotional epiphanies and like, um, she, it like reframes how she feels about herself and um, where she felt shame before um, she was empowered and mm -hmm. has this like beautiful rise where she becomes this like rock goddess throughout the arc of the film. And so you get to see like their losses and how that affects them and like the real tragic darkness of this religion and why I wanted to make the film is like embedded in this second chapter. And then something no film ever has done in the space, at least for this religion, is sort of show the life after and, and what you can have um, after leaving. Because a lot of people get stuck, like we were talking about at the beginning, in the trauma of living it or in the trauma of losing everything. And they don't really ever wake, like get beyond that. Not, it's not a wake up thing. It's like get beyond or process it. And I feel like um, I, well, it was really important to me to show that you can have a life after because people get stuck there and then they commit suicide as like the worst case scenario. And I haven't met anyone yet who doesn't know someone who committed suicide either in the religion or just after leaving because it was so traumatic. I, I actually had that as one of the questions was I was just curious what the, and we're going to come back to this, this piece that you're just explaining the documentary. I just want to ask this quickly, what kinds of um, numbers or people you would find with dealing with mental health um, you know, um, suicide, suicide attempts, et cetera, because it didn't feel like there was any hope. And it wasn't just a number. I was just, you just referenced it, which is, is great. Thank you. In the sense that it was a very prevalent issue. Mm -hmm. Mental health inside, I think is off the charts, mental health, un, unhandled mental health uh, in general, mental health in general, like people aren't dealing with it. Mm -hmm. Like therapy is not allowed. Or it's very much like looked down on. You can't talk about it if you're getting it. Has to be a secret if you're going to see a therapist in that in that culture. Their answer is always talk to the elders, read the Bible, pray more. That's it. There is no. It's it's like just and oh they have this like their whole their whole sales thing and like you mentioned earlier, community is so important, right? People join religions for community. They give you that day one. Yeah, that's like their open door policy. Like we're going to give you immortality for free. All you have to do is become a slave for the rest of your life. And if you ever fuck that up, I'm sorry. If you ever, no, you're, you're good. Um, like you're out, like you won't get to go to paradise. Um, but so there's like this weird uh, carrot on a stick thing, but they're offering you immortality and community. Thank you for sharing that part because I want to say like in general society right now, mental health is a massive challenge as it is like mm -hmm. just yeah, period exactly. as it is people. And we see more and more conversation about it, more like more open conversation. Doesn't mean there's any less shame or judgment. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean the people who need help are able to access it. Like we've got a lot of major issues with that at the same time. There's still a lot of um, people who are having a hard time saying like, I need help or I don't know what to do with this. But to be in an environment where it is literally shamed to talk mm -hmm. about it, to say it, and no help is, it is not available at all, it would just breed such like huge amounts of mental health struggle. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. And just to give a personal, I can speak for myself, and I've seen lots of people and heard experiences, but to speak for myself, I'm 15 years out of this thing. 
And there's sort of like a grieving type pattern. And I would like to have a, an expert analyze this, but the, there's the five steps of grief and it's like anger and frustration and then um, acceptance. And like, there's these steps. And I've, it's like, if you're five years out, you're sort of angry and looking back. And then after this, there's a sort of point where people will transition to like, okay, I've got like a routine and I've got a new life and I've got a whole new community. And then there's the 10 year out phase, which I see in the X community people have left um, where they're sort of like, okay, that's fine. It's just like a, negative part of my past. And then as things go on, um, it sort of becomes less of a problem. And I, you know, I'm not going to spend a lot of time thinking or doing much about it generally. I mean, I made a movie and I have a podcast about it, so I'm like still processing, but, um, I have just recently in the last couple of years got see, seen my first therapist ever. And I went with a resource I'm going to drop. Um, it's called recovering from org, I think, or.com. They're totally secular. And they have amazing resources about every single cult, um, plus more I've never heard of. And also things about narcissism, like general um, abuse and manipulative structures, that ex patterns that exist in humanity that to watch out for. Because we're sort of, you know, growing up in that kind of thing, you're not really exposed to that information. Not that you can't look it up, but people aren't talking about it because it's everywhere and they probably don't want you to talk about it. They're definitely not publishing any articles about it. Um, but I found there's a great separate project that that website references called, I think it's called the secular therapy.org. One, I might be messing up the dot coms and dot orgs, but I found a therapist who is ex Mormon woman who had gone through and got her education. And she was amazing. Like she knew exactly how to like dive in. We did some MDMR, which mm. um, is like bilateral stimulation. So you're like tapping or like looking at a ball going across like a hypnotism type thing classic mm -hmm. but it's it's a way to like connect the dots for what happened in your past when you have a, a similar thing come up and she taught me tons of tools to deal with these um, body sensations and feelings and emotions that come up um, from triggers and I've just been like going in this rabbit hole of like learning how this all works and I'm 15 years out you know so like this stuff I'm still working on the, the podcast witness underground podcast and this film because this topic has continued to affect my life in an, in, I want to like grow, not just be in stuck in some trauma circle from it, which is why I wanted to keep working on it. Oh. And I hope other people find a way to do something, whether that's like I, in my whole mission of the podcast, it's like finding artists who've left because they have processed in some way and made art about it that mm -hmm. others can relate to. And it's like share the trauma processing art that they've made like self-expression heals or helps the healing process and maybe listening to that music can help your healing process is sort of like the, the theory. And it's, I think it's fine. I'm finding it to be accurate. Like it works in some level. Thank you for sharing all of that. Thank you for, you know, really talking about that time after leaving and how now, you know, getting that help and support. And there's so many different tools available. There really are. And sometimes it just takes like people say, well, I tried counseling and it didn't work. I'm like, I think I tried five before I found one that supported me at a time that was critical. So it's keep going. And now there's even more and more modalities. I think it's even more beneficial that you were able to connect with somebody who could relate to like the, just the experience and be able to teach from that space. She's going to recognize things in you that, you know, maybe somebody else wouldn't because there's got to be things. I just, I really believe like, yes, education textbooks, important, 
but there's something about life experience that is just going to teach you tenfold, you know, how you can use that. So what I mean by that is that we are like perfectly designed to help the person that we once were. We are always perfectly designed for that. And so that's really what I see you doing. So I want to take it back to, you started to describe the movie, the documentary, what you're doing, what that looks like. I want to know, when did you decide that this was your next step? And then we're going to talk about what you're creating. I was trying to, like I was saying at the beginning, I had this like Dagobah moment where I like went across, I went to live in Vietnam. And I was sort of, I was like a land of atheism. Like there's really no, there's, there's some ancient Taoism there and there's a touch of Christianity in the South, but it's like a minor part of their culture. Mostly they're like their God-free society. And it's been that way for a thousand years. And um, that for me was amazing. Like, this is great. I'm like, it's nothing close to what I grew up with. I'm not reminded of that stuff at all. And I didn't have to think about it so much because it wasn't keep, didn't keep coming up. Um, but then I kept finding myself in situations with ex-witnesses. Like somehow um, people kept coming into my life that had the same background. We didn't know. Like I dated a woman. Because like there's a period, like I didn't want to tell anyone about it because it's like a very huge topic and no one understands. No matter how many hours they spend talking about it, they'll never understand. They're just like, oh, the people who don't celebrate birthdays, it's no big deal. It's there's some lighthearted, you know, benign Christians. And I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. I haven't talked to my mom in a decade. Um, she's stuck in it. She's trapped, right? Mm. And including my entire family. Um, family, like grandparents who are in their late 90s, like decades, right? Like all my siblings. So I'm like, no, you don't get it. And then, but I'm like, and then I find out a year later after a breakup, like she called me, she's like, something just happened. My mom died. And like, I'm from a weird religion. I'm like, really? You're from a weird, we never talked about that when we were dating. He's like, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, which one? She's like, Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm like, seriously, we dated each other. We never talked about that. <laughs> What's going on here? And then later I lived, I was living with someone in Vietnam who, um, we lived for six months together, went party together, had these mutual friends who traveled and did some cool stuff as a group. And then later she confided that like her sister's going through stuff, their mom, because of this religion thing. And I was like, oh, what thing? And she's like, oh, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And so I, someone I was like, all right, I actually respect these people a lot. And now we had this whole like amazing thing to like talk about that mm -hmm. we'd never talked about. And it was almost like war veterans or something. Like you see them like, oh, like no one else gets it. Like we went to battle together in like this crazy situation, like, like we're comrades or whatever. And that feeling of like respecting the hell out of these people and having it keep on repeat, like, like somehow there's some nonverbal communication, like we're drawn to each other or these people that were untethered from everything also chose to live on the other side of the planet in some, you know, mm -hmm. like almost like bizarro land, <laughs> you know, it's like living on another like star Wars planet to, I was on Star Wars Day, I guess today, um, <laughs> and and I was like, how did how do we find each other in this cantina on the other side of the world, and have having this amazing time? So I'm like, I'm gonna lean into this. Next time I meet an ex Jehovah's Witness on the road, I'm just gonna. I, I was doing documentary work as like a career path. I was exploring and doing music work with musicians, um, bringing like trying to elevate the arts and like get hone my skills so I could eventually tell a story like this, whether it was mine or someone else's. And I just met this guy when I was in Germany who had also had this coming out experience. And so I called the channel after his language, um, XW coming out of the Jehovah's Witness religion. And they just shortened it to XW coming out because it's like using the LGBT language of the coming out moment, um, mm -hmm. revealing your gender identity. 
and like what that means socially, like you might lose community or family or friends or change the dynamic of your relationships with certain people, um, that, that we could borrow that language and like also talk about the leaving, changing your identity in terms of what you believe about the supernatural or how reality works or what is this experience of life. Um, and people can, I hope that it's not just one waking up experience, like the best thing that's ever happened to me. I, I hope to keep on having those. And I, I feel like that's also a whole topic to have, like that language around, like I'm awoken, you should awake too. I want to wake people up, but like, I want to keep on having these like moments of revelation, like keep diving in, like lean into the mm -hmm. discovery and not just feel like I made it, you know? Um, but I, yeah, I had this to answer your question. It was sort of like, I'm not trying to escape from this anymore. Like distance myself from this topic and emotional trauma thing anymore i'm gonna turn or turn it like i'm gonna turn these stories into something and it was nice to also have a separation it's like i want to tell my story but i can be the um, story director or the story writer through someone else's story and if that makes sense and do like i just i had my skills at that point like i had a couple of cameras got nice mics and lights and i like I'm going to do proper interviews. I started doing the series and it was um, really fun and I liked it and I did more and more and I keep on wanting to do it. And eventually it turned into this movie. Um, we crowdfunded um, to do more of that series. And then the very first set of interviews I did was with people I trusted in my hometown who were also musicians. I grew up, I was a musician. So I was like, I get you guys. And we were friends in the religion at that time. So that's how I know them. And I was like, I want to do, I want to work with people that I really know well. And those interviews were amazing because we trusted each other already and their music's amazing. And they had this archive of like incredible films and music videos and all this stuff from their teenage years. And this like 17 year period of like 400 kids making music and doing like music festivals and stuff inside the religion. So it was like this beautiful gift that made it a documentary interviewing someone in a talking head, like we're doing right now, isn't a documentary. It's, it's an interview. Mm -hmm. So to take those interviews, but also have the archival material to turn it into a documentary and soundtrack it with their own music and to tell this like beautiful story and then bring it to the modern day, like give you like a 25 year, like span of time through story was amazing. And so instead of making more of that series, in addition to making more of that series, we made a whole documentary feature documentary that has now won an award at film festivals, went to 11 festivals and it did really well. So we're, like, we're working on distribution right now. It's it's available to watch on our Patreon. So it's like a soft launch right now, but then we're gonna, we're doing distribution right now. So it's a really exciting moment right now because it's like the final release of this thing. And then through that, I made a podcast because I was like, well, I love telling these stories, but setting up two cameras and flying to a place and some I've done in multiple languages now too. Like I've been in Vietnam, Germany, Mexico, um, the States a bunch and Panama and some Spanish, some English. And I'm like, I love, I love all of that, but doing it a podcast is way easier to do what we're doing to mm -hmm. turn us to like have meet somebody have a conversation and then have the story out in the world i can do that in like a week or two or a month you know for one story whereas like if i have to go there with cameras and like hire an editor and like it'll be taking like four months to do an episode so kind of like let's fast forward and like do as many stories as we can because getting the stories out there is like the most fun and most rewarding part of it and the most effect positive effect we can have on society so like making a movie takes years making a podcast takes two weeks let's just do more of that so i'm loving that process and i'm leaning into it even deeper than i was before oh, it's more dear. fun now than it was before before it was like this is a bit traumatizing <laughs> but now it's now it's just like let's hang out and talk about what you're up to because like you had a crazy life like me you made some cool art let's listen to your album
So primarily the people that you have interviewed that are part of your um, series and part of the documentary, they are all, just to spell it for the people who are listening, they're all um, musicians or artists who are now in a space of like allowing themselves to express their art, their gifts. And they all were once part of a cult or part of Jehovah's Witness. Um, So far, all former Jehovah's Witnesses and artists of all kinds. So a few authors, mostly musicians, a couple painters, mm-hmm. um, like self-expression of any kind is the goal. Cause it, like anything can do the trick, I think of like processing. Yeah. And I want to show that off. Okay. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Cause I just want to clarify and I'm going to ask, did I'm assuming you're not having any difficulty in finding people who are wanting to get behind the work that you're doing. What I'm saying is, is there's real, no real shortage of people. There's no shortage. Yeah. yeah. I have like 25 people on a list that um, are even like higher level artists that some of them are like mid career, but like they're legit, like amazing musicians mm-hmm. and artists. And then some are like untouchable. Like I might never reach them, but like, I would hope that they would see this eventually and be like, Oh, that is really cool. Like childish Gambino, for example, is like super high level. Mm-hmm. If you know that artist, um, he he's also an actor and a writer and a comedian and mm-hmm. um, Donald Glover. Uh, yes. Yeah. Ex-witness. Like the the Wayans brothers, like Serena Williams, like Williams sisters, the Jackson family. I mean, ex, they're all like former witnesses. Some are active witnesses still, you know? So um, they would be ama- like that whole group of people I just like randomly thought of would be amazing. Um, Larry Graham, who got Prince into the religion would be amazing to interview. Um, he's active still in the religion, but like, there's also, um, like a, a indigenous woman from Canada. Who's an incredible artist. I can't remember her name at the moment. She's on the list. I just you're have to come just, back to me on that name. You're going to have, well, circle yeah, we'll put it in the, we'll put it in the description. Yeah. We'll put it in the description yeah. um, be, only because I'm in talks with, with somebody right now, um, who I think you might be describing for the podcast. So you did like, okay. here's, here's the beautiful thing, right? Is, um, what I have found from podcasting first off, what you just did by, by sharing all those names, like you're literally putting that out into the universe and it's like, yep, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm creating. You have no idea. People come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Podcasting has opened up doors that I couldn't have opened myself. There's no way possible. I could have opened them myself. And when you're in a space of sharing a story, your, your impact, um, the ripple effect of the impact that you're making, it's greater than one person, right? It's, it's not one person. It's like multiple people sharing the story. It just, it just goes and has so much more life than what you can do on your own. Yeah. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. You're welcome. Just put it out there, right? You just never know. And I love it. So the name of your documentary. It's called Witness Underground, mm-hmm. as you can see behind me. Right. Yeah. Uh, oh, Underground feature doc. Okay, so for people who are not on video, can you explain the visual that is here? We will make sure there is like a video of this, but for people not on video, I want them to understand what they're what what there's what's here. So in the bottom of the poster art, all the poster art are a number of free floating disembodied huge eyeballs <laughs> mm-hmm. all generally looking at a woman who has a guitar in her hand and she's half emerged out of this dark eyeball filled uh, weird dystopia from in the underworld and she's coming up into some reality and it's basic it's like a it almost it's like multicolored wispy 
things coming away from her body that are to represent music, actually. The, the artists who I worked with this on drew them all while listening to music and then colored them in a way that, uh, but she's coming up to this like yellow orange kind of like smoky world that maybe could represent our version of reality. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't want it to be, at first there was like buildings and like a representative of like a city. And I was like, I think we should get rid of that. Cause I don't even, I don't even want it to look like, like as if she's waking up into, she's like waking up to the reality. I want it to be waking up into a reality because maybe there's another waking up that can happen from this weird misty reality that we all think we're in. Yeah, I love and there's that. multiple levels of awakening, yeah. like layers yeah. of an onion. Well, and you said this earlier, you thought it's not just being like awoken or woke and done. It's like the same thing with healing. It's not like I'm healed and you're not. It's healing is a process. It is it like it is a process that I think it's a journey that we're on for our whole lives. I I really do. I think it's not one and done. And so I believe from you doing the work that you're doing and supporting yourself, you're now able to step in and hold more with the work that you're doing now. So when is this officially like launching? Thank you for asking. Um, Launch is a ongoing process. Yeah. And I have taken a two-year deep dive into how the film distribution world works and rejected all the offers that we did get to do fully independent release. Mm -hmm. And so um, we are doing that already. So right now you can watch the film on Patreon. Mm -hmm. Patreon.com is like a, it supports the creator directly or the creating group. And at a certain level, you can watch the film. Um, but all levels are community. And if you ever support it and you ever watch the film, you're like in the family forever. Um, you'll get all the updates. And then there's a newsletter to get all the other related content sent to you. So an interview like this, I will share to the entire community, some thousands of people. And that's a fun place to have you know, information coming in. And then like podcast series, we just release all of our season two on YouTube. Um, and then there is a library option, Hoopla. We just, we're making a deal right now with Hoopla and that's in USA and Australia and New Zealand. So you can go to your public library and watch, you will be able to in a month or two, watch this film for free at the library in those countries in English. And we have Spanish subs. Um, So that'll be open to in like a month or two. And then we are releasing probably, we're hoping to get on Tubi, which is a big streaming platform that has ads. It pays well for um, filmmakers, indie filmmakers. So that's the first goal is get on Tubi. And then, but with the aggregator we're using, filmhub.com, it allows you to get on Amazon Prime Video and Apple TV and like 35 other ad-based streaming platforms. So it'll be like a multi-staged release process until it's totally out everywhere in the world and it'll be free options, it'll be pay for options. And right now you can actually rent it on Vimeo On Demand. And if you'd like, I could give your viewers a special 50% off code or something. I will definitely put that. We'll we'll connect to make sure we put that show notes because it's, I mean, as soon as I got your form and you reached out about the podcast, I was like, okay, I've never interviewed anybody with this background, this story, what you're doing. And you are taking it on such a big level, which is what I love. Like it's going to help so many other people in the process. So I, I honestly, I'm, I'm happy to support support it. It's so interesting because as I listen, as a person just taking this in and listening now, you are creating a community, a very like almost kind of what you 
wanted and craved. You've created a community, but a community where there's freedom of self-expression and freedom to to speak and freedom to use your voice and your message. And it's it's just, yeah, I just think it's I think it's beautiful because I think how many people who have been suffering in silence for a long time will be able to find, you know, like-minded people who can understand and relate to their story. Thank you. I feel like you've read me correctly. I'm a good reader. Just in case. (laughs) I am actually a really good reader. I liked how you framed that though. Like I'm, I'm looking to create community amongst the artists in the world who have processed something about this, some piece of it for themselves or, and yeah. others to then take that in. So many people have told me that aren't musicians um, that music saved their lives. Mm-hmm. Whether that was whatever they were, you know, like one guy told me yesterday, an author who just made a trilogy book series, um, a memoir, and then some narrative. And it's like, it's like ex cult member doomsday fan fiction. <laughs> I'm so excited to read his books. I haven't read them yet, but we had a hangout yesterday, like pre-interview for a possible interview coming up soon. Uh, he told me that Nine Inch Nails saved his life. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't have community, but he had that artist. Like just listening to music can save your life. It's powerful. So powerful. I really do. I think it's so powerful. Um, As you're building community, what you're doing, and I do want to ask this question. So I apologize if this is difficult, but I do want to ask it is as you're building community and somebody is listening to this right now and they're like, but I don't know how to walk away from everyone knowing that I might never see them again. I might never communicate with them again. How, how do I find the strength to do that? And I just want to, I want you to share if there's something, because you did mention like you haven't seen family for, um, I don't know if it's all your family, but if you haven't seen them for like a decade and, you know, it's one thing to leave that, environment it's another to now leave it and like you're now creating a big stage to talk about it which i think i love i absolutely i love and i think it is going to help so many incredible people i want you to speak to that person who is listening that is scared and is like i don't know how to leave everyone and maybe that was a younger version of you at one point in time i don't know i would just want to know how that message lands for you it's a great question. And it's a big topic in the ex Jehovah's Witness community, if I can call it that. It's a weird identity to have, but like we have, there's like 80, 90,000 people on one Reddit um, who are mostly associated with that religion. And there's like 10, 10, many tens of thousands of people in Facebook groups that are dedicated to this one group of people. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of discussion and they have determined uh, an acronym. It's like physically and mentally out is PMO, physically and mentally and is an active member. Um, so P, uh, P me, and then physically out, mentally out is totally out. Like they've left. So like, there's this PMO one is like physically out mentally or actually no physically in mentally out mm-hmm. PMO. Um, am I saying that right? Physically out, POMI. I can't remember. There's like all these funny things. So anyway, they described it. Like, and, um, it's like, it's why are, why are they sticking with it? Why are these different levels and arrangements and we can describe other people that way, but people describe themselves these different ways. And some people have like a believing partner, wife or husband, and they want to maintain that relationship because that relationship is valuable. They like love this human being, but they cannot talk about this one topic. So they'll spend to maintain this relationship. They'll spend three days a week pretending to believe this thing and any kind of topic that comes up with their partner mm-hmm. faking it for 
decades to maintain it or to maintain it with their family, their parents. Like they, their parents are getting older and they don't really want to lose them or lose a connection with them. And they know they'll get cut off completely because that's what you have to do if you're in it. And people cut you off because if they don't, they'll get cut off. And so there's this crazy multi-level, like everyone's controlled, right? My big brother. And it is a big decision. And I didn't, ex so my parents were like not good at religion. My mom never really joined. And my siblings were like skipping church all the time and like watching all the bad movies and listening to all the bad music you're not supposed to and like breaking all the small rules and not being a very like active member and not really going preaching door to door like you have to. Um, so when they, I didn't expect, I, I left and like, it was a couple of years where we could communicate about this thing. Um, for me, it was a surprise that they would actually do the shunning as harshly as they are, like complete cutoff or like as a, as a group, they, they got together and they're like, we can no longer talk to this person in our family, this person that we supposedly love. And they, they started using the love word after deciding that they can't treat me or they can't talk to me forever. Like they're like, we love you, but this is what's going to happen. Yeah. And I have forced some interactions with them, like confronted them about this topic or like went and saw them and catch up with them. But they're like, I love you, but I can't have you in my life ever for the rest of our lives. Like goodbye. This is it. And then they cry. And it's like that, like it's a crazy, it's a crazy story. And that's just like the summary, but um, it's a big decision. And I, I can't, I'm, I'm happy with my decision because that means that, you know, those, those relationships were conditional, but they are still conditional. Like their love is conditional on me believing in their God and towing the line and following their rules. And I, can't I don't respect myself if I do that. I didn't respect myself when I was doing it. And I don't want to live in a life where I'm not true to myself. And I feel like that's the right move. And I've seen so many people take different paths and there's like the do something and get kicked out that like do something you want to do, which is like, I don't know, smoke a cigarette if that's like what you want because you're stressed out by this cult <laughs> or have sex with your partner um, outside of marriage. For example, that will remove you from having a relationship with your mom for the rest of your life by showing love to your partner in that way, intimacy in that way, um, for example. But like ultimately, whether you, whether you get kicked out by them or you write a letter, which is another form of control that they have over you, but they're like, this is, you can write a letter of like, I sub unsubscribe from your newsletter and unsubscribe from your book club. I no longer believe in this God. I don't want to be a part of whatever the, however you want to write that thing or however you see it. Like it's still a method that they give you that they have control over your family to never talk to you again. But even if you fade, which is like the third option, which is what I did, which is I just, I just stopped going. So like, I don't want to do those things that <clears throat> give them power and control. Um, fade out is a Jehovah's witness, Jehovah's witness term um, where you just stop going or you like slowly pretend that you believe it and then eventually distance yourself, maybe move to a new city and tell all your friends back in the other city that like, there's many different ways. Like how do you manipulate or how do you control, how do you like soft get out yeah. and then maintain those relationships? Maybe the result is ultimately the same, whether it's like day one, they cut you off forever or it's in seven years from now, they cut you off forever. Um, they're being told all the time to watch out for people within the ranks. Um, that like that you're a, a bad person and you can't be trusted and you're like actually spawn of Satan and you're the antichrist and you're mentally diseased and it's contagious disease and your thought crimes are real. And like, it just gets like crazier and crazier and crazier. And they tell everyone this and they continuously put that out in the world. It's like most of their conversations now are about watching out for like what they call apostates, which is they have a whole different term. That just means you don't believe what you were taught as a child by your family or culture. 
But like by their terms, that word is redefined to mean like all those negative things, antichrist, mentally diseased, trying to attack their religion, sinning against the Holy Spirit, which is the ultimate crime that can never be forgiven by God. And like, wow, this huge, like outrageous thing. Like I'm somehow the, the, the you know, the pure evil. And so they, like, they're, they're ashamed of my voice. I'm proud as I'm proud as hell of my voice. I'm going to keep on speaking. And it's the only reason I'm doing any of this is actually because they're shunning. Like they think I'm doing something to attack them. And I'm like, no, I'm reacting to your emotional abuse. You want to have a relationship with me? Let's do that. You can't do that because you have to emotionally abuse me because you're scared of like not getting into your version of heaven or paradise. And you're going to manipulate your own child and sibling relationship. And you're going to destroy this beautiful thing that we used to have. We had, an, I had amazing relationships with my family members. I love them. Mm-hmm. But if they're going to be abusers, I'm going to make a fucking movie about it. <laughs> and here we are. I have a movie about it and everyone loves it. And I want to share it with the world. And I've created something I love about it, which is the podcast where we get to completely be honest and have our integrity and authenticity about our lives in public without shame and show off our music that we made out of it. Like I'm super excited about it and I want to keep doing it. Thank you for sharing that. Seriously, thank you for sharing that because I believe that is going to speak to somebody who might have been sitting right on that fence saying, I don't know how to do or what my next step is because I'm afraid, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, in general, the average human is spend so much time and energy in fear and not moving forward. You were conditioned to like be on guard and fearful of everything. So like you can see how somebody might be wanting to get out, but also like so afraid of what that might look like. So thank you for sharing what you did. I, I'm going to make sure that like we have everything in the show notes, but where's the best place for people to connect, follow and like follow what you're doing and learn more about what the work that you're doing. Witnessunderground.com is our website. And I, I post regularly in um, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, but there's the patrons, like the community, if you want to be a part of the community or, or support the project directly. Um, we have like monthly patron calls and regular content. And I interview some of our patrons sometimes sort of like fascinating people, a lot of artists in there. Um, let's see best place and there's a newsletter so like if you want to just like know what we're doing and like Mm -hmm. listen to new interviews and hear the music and um there's a if you go to the website there's a click to sign up for the email it's like once a week i'll send something out this interview will be one of those emails for example perfect (laughs) thank you thank you so honestly grateful to have this conversation because it it really does open up the doors like just something you you said that I think applies to everyone is this space that when we have relationships that are conditional on you doing what I want you to, or what I expect of you, then that's a sign, right? Those are a sign. That's a red flag. That's a, like it's, and I can think of a number of relationships I've had in my life that were conditional on something or on me doing something. And I I don't think I have too many of those in my life anymore. So it's beautiful. I'm glad you mentioned that actually. Yeah. Like I've started to recognize patterns of narcissistic abuse type people that I'm drawn to Mm -hmm. probably because they're familiar to me because Mm -hmm. I grew up around people like that. I'm like, Oh, I can, I can hang with this person. They're the most interesting person in the room. And it's like, Oh no, this is like a, a pattern that I have, right. I'm attracted to people that do this. So 
I've now reckoned, I'm trying to like shorten the distance between recognizing the pattern. I'm like, oh, how many red flags does this person have? Awesome. I'm going to go right over there. And then I'm like, no, recognize those and then turn the other way. <laughs> Don't get drawn in. Mm-hmm. Recognize for what, like shorten the duration of like recognizing and then getting away from it. <laughs> I, I I couldn't agree more. There was, a, there was, there were many years that I spent trying to help people to change and fix, fix them, shorten that curve to change. And now it's like, oh yeah, that's not my job. My job is like to guide and show what's possible, but my job is not to change your thinking because that's like, that's just, I don't, I I don't, that's just not it. So their personal work to do that. Yes, it is. And nobody, everyone's personal work to do that internally. Yes, it is. Your own thoughts. Yes, it is. I mean, I can say honestly in the topic, especially from my perspective, when it's dealing with substance abuse and, you know, and that's like a, that's a massive category in itself. I get questions nonstop from parents saying, but how do you make them change? How do you get them to stop? How do you, how do you do it? And I'm like, you don't. And I know that's a terrible answer. That's not the answer you want to hear. You have to find a way to be the example and be like embody what it is that is okay with you, what you, how you lead yourself, but learning how to not be in a space of fixing, managing and controlling other people. It has saved me so much more time and energy to be able to do other work. That's far more important. I love that. Picking the battles that, that you value, that you think work. Yes. Picking them. I mean, I used to take all of them on because that was me. I was the fighters took every single battle on it. Like with this, like I'm so I can handle it all to now it's like, yeah, that's not mine. That's not mine. That's not mine. No, thank you. <laughs> Move on. So it's yeah. it's just, yeah, it's so interesting. Setting boundaries um, is important. I'm also learning oh, that. <laughs> yeah, without boundaries, you, you could never do this kind of work. There's just no, there's no way. I honestly, Scott, I've loved this conversation. There's so much here for people and I appreciate you sharing a topic that in 600 plus episodes has never been shared. It's never been shared. So it, it, that does not mean there's not a need for it. It means it's never been shared. And so somebody has to go first and that's essentially what you're doing. Um, so I love that. I have one more question for you and it is what lesson in life are you most grateful for? Oof. <laughs> first one that pops into my mind. I, maybe I shouldn't jump there. No, you follow yeah. your gut. You go. Um, guilt my, my wake up moment was if i'm experiencing guilt that's somebody else trying to control me and manipulate me it was like like a big realization and especially like living in a country where there's a lot of christianity or you know judeo religion western i don't know how do you say that like islam judeo Judeo and Christianity have like the similar thing where you're a sinner and you should feel guilty for your inability to like be amazingly perfect all the time. Like somehow you're broken. Um, I feel like that might be influencing this whole guilt complex that we have in society, but this particular religion uses guilt all the time. Um, you're, you should feel bad for possibly giving a bad name by the way you dressed because you represent the true God of the universe and no one else does that. Only this group does that. And you should feel guilty all the time. And if you're not doing, you should like, you're basically like, it's like a internal police telling you you're doing something wrong constantly and that you're unworthy. And that, I mean, they, they sort of, it's 
ever-present thought and for yeah sort of realizing that this was a dangerous and manipulative controlling organization um that i needed to get out of immediately that was like the thing like oh guilt is controlling guilt is you can have healthy guilt if you did something that you knew was like gonna hurt somebody that's that's a healthy thing that's like should come from within if guilt is coming from without then it's a manipulative control tactic and so i'm always like looking for other ways that society is using control tactics to manipulate me or others and recognizing it for that and what it is and what that was one of the wake-up moments hmm. that's a that's a really powerful answer honestly thank you for sharing that because you know, a lot of us carry guilt in some way, shape, or form from something. Most of the time it's from internal, like it's internal. We're doing that to ourselves. And maybe that's because, you know, deep down we want to do a better job. We want to, you know, not set others, whatever that is, but to carry guilt that is being like placed on you intentionally from external is very different. And that's a big red flag. So I appreciate how you share that that becomes the red flag for you, that it's like, nope, that's not the right, that is not the right place for me. Yeah. And that was just one, right? Mm -hmm. Recognizing how some kind of program that has been taught to me, whether I was resistant to it or not, it got in and um, kind of trying to do my best to rewrite the operating system at the core I have we have our physical hardware, our body, and our mind, but like there's ideas that have been implanted through indoctrination or society or media or news or people in our lives who have some kind of authority. And um, to recognize that those programs aren't necessarily ours, we can write our own programs. And if we do need to erase something and recognize it, like delete software, <laughs> install something new, like you should write your own in a way that you think is valuable to your life beautiful thank you so much for it's sharing. hard to do though oh my god it's like it is hard to do it is hard to do but it's also i always every time i find myself saying it's hard to do i also remind myself it's hard to do nothing i get to choose which hard i want like it's all hard it's it's all hard we get to decide which one we want to buy into one creates change one creates no change yes yeah do you want to keep on living the same pattern you've been in in your past or do you want to try something new yeah. and possibly improve your life hopefully it improves your life probably will if you're choosing it <laughs> yeah thank you thank you thank, thank you so much being here yeah i love this interview you're really good at this <laughs> after 600 um yeah i, I want to go back in time and see how you started now oh I'm, i openly share I openly share. I have, I actually just not that long ago, I shared my very first one. I pull yeah. it up and I've had people say like, I can't believe you, you share that you keep it. I'm like, I will always keep that out there because I'm not, I'm proud of starting. I'm proud of not having a clue what I was doing. And, you know, we keep having these beliefs that it's got to look a certain way before we can release it when actually it's, it doesn't, it doesn't. And you have to allow yourself to take that messy action and do. And if you look at what you're creating now, it's got to be different than the very first time you did. Right? The very first time I did, I launched our crowdfund um, yeah. and I was on stage in front of an audience with a microphone, which was super triggering. Cause like growing up in the Jehovah's Witnesses, like you have to do that. Yes. <laughs> it's like you, it's forced, coerced. 
And um, I didn't realize talking about the exact same topic, even though I'm just on like the other side of the fence or the wall they erect, um, that that would be like a triggering, traumatizing moment. But like, then someone's asking me like about your, my relationship with my mom. And I just had this, like, I'm on stage, like trying to have my like Steve Jobs, check out this I, the iPhone moment, like check out this awesome thing I'm working on. I'm like so excited about it. And then I'm like cracked, my voice cracked. I was emotional and I was I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that. I'm not only is this happening in real time, but um, it's also being recorded. Yeah. And I had this video that I put out and people were like, oh my God, I can't believe you're like, you got it vulnerable on stage like that. I'm like, I don't know how to, I need to take that video down. I did actually put it to, I kept it, but I like put it private. Um, but I'm thinking now that you're saying this, I should put it out publicly. Just like what? live with it. It's because a part of it. it it's permission. Come a long way. Others, right. You've come a long ways and it's celebrating the journey. Um, and it's permission for others that it doesn't have to look this way. It doesn't have to be perfect. Like one of my very first talks to a bigger stage, maybe um, I'm going to say that but there was at least three or 400 people there. And I had my whole talk memorized, like I, which is not ideal when you're trying to be like in the moment, but I was nervous. That's what I was doing. Oh, and yeah, well, it got better. And then um, sure enough, um, my coach at that time, my mentor said, you know, Glock eyes with somebody like maybe two or three people in the crowd. So I get on the stage and I get ready to speak and the lights are so bright. I can only see lights. And I'm like, okay, well that rule's gone now. <laughs> so now what? And I got partway through, I got emotional. I forgot completely what I was saying. And I just sat there and I was like, I don't know where I am. I have no idea where I am in my talk. And I'm like, and that's going to have to not matter right now. And I literally just carried on from there. And probably one of the best, most receptive feedback I've ever had from an audience. And it was because it was real and it was honest and it was raw. And, and it's like connects, right? People don't connect to perfect they connect to real. That's what they connect That's to. That's true. Yeah. That was not planned. Like, trust me, I thought it was like horrifyingly embarrassing, the worst moment of my life. And it actually wasn't. It actually wasn't. So it's just that permission that, you know, allow yourself to be messy, to be a newbie, to learn as you go. But people will connect to people. They will not connect to robots. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that actually was interesting. When I went to the film festival run, we had the Q&As after they show this film, which is this amazing honoring experience. But the audience was also, like a lot of them, you know, most of them were, had no idea about, like you haven't had too much experience with this topic. They see this film and they have a lot of these, they're like, oh, did you go through this obvious question? But I'm like, no, 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 we're talking about the people in the movie. We're not talking about my story today. Like, that's too much. But then I would talk about it. And it's like, so have you talked to your mom? Like, what's your relationship? I'm like, Jesus, like, I don't really want to talk about my relationship with my mom. It's like a touchy subject or, you know, anyone in my family. And I, I have had a couple emotional moments on stage there too. But eventually I got like, it's like about managing that feeling in public. And I'm not great at it, but um getting better and better podcasting has been like this kind of interview i've gotten emotional a few times in this interview and it's just a matter of like letting it be there and like keep it going like it's just part of it yeah no thank you for sharing with us the way that you did um emotions are allowed here like they're allowed yeah. here they're 100 allowed not judged what, whatsoever and again this is just um from that human approach right it's just the the human approach is what's going to connect people to you and your story not it being like perfect stoic and no feeling yeah. yeah yeah there's something i that's also i've tried to avoid in the making of my film because the other films that are on the topic 
there's almost always someone who cries and then they're like, or they're just vulnerable and emotional about this heavy topic. And then they roll credits. And that was kind of made me upset because like, that's, that's how I see myself, even though, yes, that happens. That's like someone from the outside looking in like, oh, these are hurt people. Let's show that because we want to, we want to help, you know, these people, we want to help, I don't know, help society understand this is a dangerous cult. And it's like, yeah, great. That, that works. And it, but I don't like that they don't show the life after, which is what we talked about at the beginning, that, that there is a life after. And that's actually, for me, that's the most interesting thing. How did you process and move forward? And um, that was one of my big motivations to make something it was like, they don't really humanize the experience. They just, what I felt was sort of like vul- um, exploitation of vulnerability, exploitation of emotions of these people. And also a re-otherizing like, oh, they're not one of us. They you know, like I was saying, like they, they were in a cult and now they're just a broken human after sucks, have pity for them credits and like, awesome. They got like great views on that film. And, you know, they, I don't know, they, their thing went viral because they exploited these emotions, but they, did they really help anyone? Did they yeah. help process? They just exploited. So I want to make something that didn't do that. But at the same time, one of the interviews, the key interview of the film, he does get emotional, but it's a very, it's a very humanizing effect. Um, and it's about something really, yeah, like it's about someone having to break a relationship with someone important, like a son and a father. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, that's an emotional topic and we can all understand that on some level or someone died. So, okay. So like someone important died for this person and then the funeral was like a big topic. Um, so I felt that it was not exploitive, but it was a topic topic I was trying to like be balanced about because it was also an amazing capture in the interview. Like it's like the person is being vulnerable and authentic. And um, I'm so happy that he was able to work through it on camera. Mm-hmm. And then we get to have the conversation that followed as well. Not just roll credits at the, like this, this sucks moment. Actually, I, I appreciate you sharing that part. And I know exactly what you're talking about. Cause sometimes when it's that kind of movie, it is, um, People like to leave it with the shock and awe at the end, but then you're right. It doesn't discuss the life afterwards. Um, Years ago, I saw, and I I hope I have the name. I don't know if I have the name right. I can't remember the name. Um, I don't think it was Beautiful Boy, but it was one dealing with a family and addiction. And I actually went to the movie theaters by myself to watch it. And when it finished, it ended on a very like strong shock, like almost as if there was no ending. And I heard people in the audience saying, like, what kind of ending is that? Like, what does that have to do with like that? They were almost uh, upset that it ended like that. And it was funny because I'm watching it going, but I get the story because the story is never ending. And it isn't a, you know, I'm sorry, it's not a Hollywood, beautiful, happy ending, but that's actually a real life ending the way that they did it. So I think there's ways and things that they do things, but I love that the way you're talking about it, it's not about exploiting vulnerability, right? Vulnerability is like allowing your humanness to be seen, but it's not, it's like shining that light on you personally. Um, it is not about shining it on the exploitive parts of others. You're sharing like, what did you go through? What did you experience? And I just think that there's very powerful ways to do that and leave others still feeling like they can relate and connect to your story. Not so, not further shamed and, and right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, amazing. And one, I wanted to drop one more Yeah. Um, shout out to Bonnie Root. 
who's a film writer, actress, actor in Hollywood, um, who's become a friend. She made a short film called Sissy that's on Vimeo. I think you can rent it, um, but it's, it's about addiction and um, abuse and predatory behavior and kind of it shows the source of it and also how people that are, I mean, parents are going to teach their kids the best they can, but often transmit generational stuff onto them. And even if they're trying to do their best and they probably do, don't push stuff on them, you know, most cases that they're, they're only putting some of the negative into their children. Um, I don't know the statistics on that or not, but um, every family is a bit different, but this, this showed something really interesting and it's it become, it became used by an organization. She was telling me about how, how predators get like underage kids to make advances and feel like the predator feels like, I don't know. It's, it's a really interesting nuanced thing that um, she knows personally and put this into a movie because she thought it was important. And the people that understand that space, um, put it in like an education group of <laughs> films. Like this is like a key film for this. And uh, she's making a feature about it. She's also an ex-Venice. So I want to like shout her out. It's an amazing Absolutely. project. She's putting the feature together right now, which is really exciting. It's like key act, big actors, like um, really excited for that one to make a splash in the world. Well, thank you for sharing that one. And I, I just want to say too, again, like thank you for everything that you share because we are now like more and more and more there's so much available to be having conversations, difficult conversations, sharing stories, helping others. It's, it's available and we see it more and more now. And I, and I'm like, I'm all here for it. I think it's, I think it's really important and long overdue. I agree. And I, I want to share so many artists. Like that's my whole project is like, what did someone else make? Mm -hmm. that, that's like in, in this topic, like almost like a genre is like an ex cult member, ex self-expression art genre. And I want to make sure everyone knows what that is. And uh, I, yeah, more people keep coming out of the woodwork. And I do want to expand it to other religions and cults at some point. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Pedro the, Pedro the Lion, singer and guitarist, he had like a religion coming out album and went on tour. And like, I think he's still with that group, but they're like a famous Christian group mm -hmm. from the 90s. And David Bazan, I think. So like, there's like so many, right? Like it'd be an amazing key interview. I'm, I'm manifesting that right now <laughs> on your show. <laughs> there's so many. But I think if I do this one and I get a little few, few from different religions and it'll just become a growing thing. You have no idea. Like the story is going to go further than you think. It always does. It literally always does. It goes further than you think because you're, you're putting it out with the intention to help others. And it really is. I think that that's a really powerful piece of it. And then it starts to take a life of its own because you don't know who hears it. You don't know who passes it on to somebody else. And then this person happens. I've gotten people um, had people as guests on this podcast, I could have never, ever, ever imagined happening. And it was just from like consistently showing up with the right intention, you know, putting the work, doing the things. And all of a sudden it lands in people's hands. And it's like, wow, I couldn't have, I couldn't have predicted how that would have turned out. Mm -hmm. But when you do it with the right intention, the doors will open. They will open. I'm excited. It's happening already a little bit here and there, but yeah. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. If you love this episode, I invite you to tag me on social media with your takeaways or share it with a friend. Please, if you feel called, take 30 seconds to leave a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. 
Until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.